am Samantha. Welcome to the Layman's Doctor podcast where we're bringing medicine home. If you're having some issues with the audio today, it's because we're practicing social distancing. COVID is in Jamaica and this is one of the ways that we're preventing spread. Today I'm talking to Karen Lloyd. Um, she's going to tell us a little bit about um, a study that JFLAG did or Equal to Jamaica did um, where they asked some mystery shoppers to go into healthcare facilities and just see what the service is like for persons who are part of the LGBT community. Can you tell us a little bit about what the study was, why did it, and of course, who Equality Jamaica is? Thanks, Samantha. Hi, everyone. I'm Karen Lloyd. I'm currently, I manage JFLAG's welfare and social support services portfolio. Previously, it was just health and wellness, um, but we've expanded since the beginning of this year. So Equality Jamaica, more popularly known as JFLAG, is an LGBT rights organization in Jamaica advocating for the rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and other sexual and gender minorities. Um, I would do work around providing a safe environment for LGBT people too. And I know this might sound generic, but LGBT people literally just want to live like everybody else. And so if we're serious about Jamaica's vision 2030, about making Jamaica the place of choice to work, live, raise families, do business. We also have to ensure that all our citizens um, have the potential to do these things. And so JFLAG advocates for the community. We do work on a number of different fronts. We do healthcare work. We do um, policy work. We do employment, literally all different um areas where human lives are impacted um and especially where certain issues affect lgbt people more um we're always on the front line ensuring that lgbt people have representation um and now read the study so in 2013 we have been training healthcare workers and so we wanted to know what is the impact all this training is having? So the training would have looked at things like sex and sexuality, um, medical-related information, soft skills, like how to ask certain questions, how to engage with different kinds of people. So we wanted to know the impact of all of that training. And so we hired a company to train ordinary LGBT people and um, straight people as well so we could have a comparison. Um, so mystery shoppers are people who they go into health facilities to ask, to, to, to access services without the healthcare provider knowing that this is a study. So then you can get a true sense of what happens in the facilities um, to persons who are who would fit this description. So basically, we're just sending random people. Um, they would have um, been given a particular scenario. They pretended that these are the issues they're having. 
them go to the healthcare worker and they report back to us to tell us what their experience is. So then we can understand what's happening in the system. All right. So the reason I wanted to talk about this um, was because I work in healthcare and you know me from, you've known me for a very long time in terms of the fact that I've worked with JFLAG and JAN and I basically see our forms and see how the healthcare system is. And I always kind of wondered, how is it for persons who are in the LGBT community? So what was it? How did you guys come about deciding that we're going to do this? All right. So we've been training healthcare workers since 2013. Um, we've trained over 600 people between 2013 and 2019. That includes different levels of staff. So from medical doctors straight to frontline staff to include porters, um, customer service people, everybody. Um, and originally we had started just with the healthcare proper people, the people actually seeing patients. Um, and then we realized based on reports that we were get, getting, plus also um, based on information from the medical professionals, that some of the issue was with the frontline staff. So we can't talk about access just from a medical perspective when people literally physically can't sometimes have access to the building because of the security guards and stuff. Um, so we began training frontline staff as well. So of course, with all this training, to, to understand impact, we also have to see after we've done all this training, is anything changing? And so the mystery shopper is part of that effort to get data around um, what is the actual experience of people now that we've trained all of these people. Oh, so basically you were, you did all this work, you did all this groundwork, so you just wanted to see if what you were doing was actually helping. Right. And um, I saw, saw Equality Jamaica post on Twitter their report. I can't remember when it was posted, but I read it recently. And it was actually, some, it had some very interesting findings. But you end up choosing people who were representative of the LGBT community. So it wasn't just, you had straight people, persons who identified as um, transgender. And you had... I think it, it didn't have, it had a gay men. I'm not sure if you had any um, lesbians or trans men, sorry. We didn't do any lesbians or trans men because this is still grounded in HIV work. So our training overall, while it had general stuff as well, was about providing HIV-related services. So both on risk. That's why you'd have um, gay men, trans women, and then we have straight people as to as a comparison to see if it was any different between the groups. So that's why they had. That's why it was mostly trans women, gay men, and then yeah. straight people. Um, so just you I mentioned that it was growing in HIV, and based on the statistics. But for persons who might not 
really get why specifically those what is it that the data actually shows so um lesbians are at lower risk first because they're not having sex with men mm-hmm. um, and then trans men and for people who don't know trans men are people who were born biologically female um, and who identify as men. Mm-hmm. They have vaginas. They identify as men. Um, and risk for them also lower. And, well, I must just also say here that data is also not strong. There's not mm-hmm. data around trans men. So while the data suggests that they're at lower risk, we also can't say it with that much certainty because data is just not there as much as we'd like. All right, so you had these persons, they were going to different healthcare facilities. I saw where they went to KPH, they went to CHAIRS, which is at, I can never remember what CHAIRS stands for, but um, it's a HIV-related facility that's at the university hospital i think that was the not the, the only it it and just jamaica aid support life were the only non-government organizations that were yes. involved and then you had saint anne's Bay. was it hospital or health center hospital okay and let me see if i have all of them right it was comprehensive saint anne's Bay, kph Jassel, Jago, I, I was forgetting St. Jago Health Center, and then you had chairs. So you had basically four public facilities and two private facilities. And what? This health Center. Is St. Anne's Bay Health Center. Okay. And basically, they would just go and engage in the healthcare, the healthcare system. Right. Um, but was it only just for HIV-related purposes they were going? No. Um, so they got... They were supposed to be as natural as possible. And mm-hmm. each of them had um, a story, basically. So go through the normal system, and they reported on each step of that process. So they reported on what happened with the security guard, if anything... Um, mm-hmm. and they would have reported on every step of that. In terms of what they would have gone for, it's different stuff. So some of them, STD, just STD, not HIV specific. Okay. So different health issues, and not all of them HIV specific. So when you did this then, because you're saying some per- they had each had a story, did you find that was there an issue when it came on to the sexual reproductive health part of it versus if they just went for something regular like a cut to the foot or a cold, did, did it really show in the data that they were treated differently? Well, that would have um, come on to our comfort sharing part. So there's a section on comfort sharing information. Um, and in most visits, People said they were comfortable sharing it. Regardless of what the issue was. Right. Yeah, like 21% said they were uncomfortable. And then, like, if we pair that with um, 
healthcare workers who ask unrelated questions that came mm-hmm. up as a thing in the in the report because a number of people reported on it. Um, so three of the visits were deemed to contain questions that were unrelated to their husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them said it wasn't in a negative way, it was more conversational. Um, and in five cases, they said they said it, they were neutral on their perception of questions being unrelated to their health concerns. Okay. So when you say unrelated, meaning that, all right, I come for cold and you're asking me questions that I don't think have anything to do with the cold. Right. Asking me something about my sexuality and it has nothing to do with what. That's just an example, by the way. Okay. So then that again is like, I come again with the flu symptoms and you're asking me who I sleep with, what type of, what type of sex I have. It's not really related in that sense. But I did, I did see some, I did read some of the comments and I mean, some of the comments are, are wild. So I saw the one about penis size and I was, I was trying to wrap my head around at what instance would I, I'm not sure when I would have to ask that type of question. And, um, I know that they said that it was conversational and it wasn't really taken negatively, but somebody was asked, how long were you gay for? And I know that that kind of question can, for some persons, may be inflammatory. And it's even something like you're, you don't want it to be assumed that, oh, but this, this is a choice or this is something that I just got up and decided to do. So when I saw those comments, I was thinking, man, it really depends on who is in front of you and that rapport that you have with that patient. Because I can very much imagine if I ask somebody, how long have you been gay for? Depending on who the person is, it might go all sorts of ways. Right. And also, mm-hmm. it literally could result in that patient never coming back to the No, it definitely can. What training is about is improving access. And mm-hmm. Especially within the LGBT community, a lot of information is spread by word of mouth. Mm-hmm. People trust people with experiences that mm-hmm. may have never gone to comprehensive, for example. But I know somebody who go and they had a bad experience. Mm-hmm. They were somebody had an off day. But to me, I would never yeah. go to comprehensive again because I would never go to comprehensive, even though I've never been, because this person who I know and who's a part of the community had this experience. Mm-hmm. It's those issues that we have to be careful of because mm-hmm. a lot of the access issues, they're not all based in fact. Some of it is perception, some of it, and with, especially with population that are already on the fringes, they tend to chaperone within their community to see what the experiences are because nobody wants mm-hmm. So if I know people are having challenges with this um, health center, why should I go? I will not go. And then we have a lot of other issues coming off of that. So, for example, a big issue within the health system is people leave from across the island to go to other places for services. Yes, that came up in your St. Anne's Bay one, though, where someone asked the patient, 
why did they travel so far and um it's especially i think one of the issues is is if you because all of our health centers are within our communities there might be an issue of privacy you might end up seeing somebody you know um or the persons who work at the health center might work might also live uh, or interface with the community um so that might be an issue and i know that one that was one of the biggest things that came up in the study was the issue of privacy um and they and the, the privacy um issue was not just for lgbtq clients mm-hmm. one of the feedback um regarding best practices was that privacy is required um and that it should be the case for everyone not just lgbtq people because it's a problem across the board mm-hmm but when it came to privacy, one thing I'm wondering, is it is it in the sense that from the entrance, does it have to do with how the facility is made up? Because I know that I've been to chairs um, as a student. I went to chairs. So I know how that building looks. The walls, and one of the comments made was that the walls are really thin. And you don't feel like you can, you feel like you can hear people's business. I think I was lucky enough to go when it was empty, so I never really noticed it as much of, as uh, much of an issue. But did it just have to do with the facilities and how they're built and how they're made, um, or is it a sense where you don't they didn't feel like when they were talking to um, like a customer representative that their converse, that their information was kept confidential, or they were maybe talking too loudly or stuff like that is it a people problem is it a structure problem or is it both of them all right so i'm going to read you a little excerpt of one of those things um, mm-hmm. and get it straight from um what the person said so they said um there the person at the front desk was really nice and then when i saw the calm atmosphere and I see the part like where you have trans woman, trans man. I said, oh, this is good. Mm-hmm. It felt really good that it wasn't just man and woman. I like that. But then we got to the part where they do the test. That was really uncomfortable. They had a lot of patient information outside on the desk, testing results and persons were in and out. So what if it was the case where my test results came back positive? Everyone could have seen that. You know, normally when you do a test, they lock the door. Mm-hmm really uncomfortable only good part about it was the form the form made me feel included okay so all right so that brings up two points so not protect i mean the person brought up a good point like if the test is negative everybody's like oh it don't really matter but if the test is positive it shouldn't and it should never be it should never be an issue you should always have confidentiality no matter what the test result is or even why you're there and i know within our own public system that because our facilities aren't as aren't as big as the population a lot of times it can be very hard to to maintain privacy um for patients but then there's not there's never an excuse to have patient information just on a table or on a desk so that other persons can see them so i think that's definitely something that we can work on um, in their own facilities as well. But then, yes, chairs is the only place that had the forms um, that had different 
different genders available. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I don't I don't know what I don't I think to go in public systems that would have to be a directive from maybe the Ministry of Health or the regional health authorities. Yeah. I'm not sure how it that's how it works. Yeah, it's difficult for them to change forms. Okay. And um, the ministry at different levels. Um so it's not just um underground work that we do. We do mm-hmm. policies. So okay. Dialogue with the ministry and always trying to um, improve things so we know what's also going on at the policy um, so it's a little bit more difficult chairs can always just change their form their price mm-hmm. um, comprehensive or San Diego can't just get up and change their form even if they yeah. yeah well I suppose I suppose at that level if they can't have the forms changed in that instance when they have someone comes in they can always ask them do you have a preferred name? Um, how would you like me to address you as? So on, so. So. It doesn't stop them from, in their conversation with the client, mm-hmm. ask them. And it, it helps to build rapport. But also, it just helps the client to feel more comfortable. Um, and, I'll, and I'll give you an example. In our very first cohort of this training in 2013, Mm-hmm. We trained Dr. Paul, and she's the head of correctional services. And she has clients who she would have seen some of them LGBT. Um, and when she came to the training, she was saying, you know, she's glad to, to be at the training, but she doesn't think she discriminates. Um, and when the training ended and she went back into the facility, and she saw clients, she was blown away. So, yes, she didn't discriminate, but she also didn't have mm-hmm. the language to speak to clients in a certain way. And so when she went back and she started talking about top and bottom and verse, mm-hmm. they were just, they were like, oh, you understand way. And her relationship completely changed with the client. Um, and she ended up doing a testimonial video for us that we use quite a bit, especially when we're training healthcare workers, because a lot of the times you tend to send people saying, oh, but I don't discriminate, I'm a professional. Mm-hmm. But they're also one, they don't see their biases. So we're not saying people are going out of their way to be discriminatory, but we all grew up in a society that is built a certain way, that we're socialized a particular way. And so a lot of the questions that healthcare workers ask it is very heteronormative. So it assumes that yes. if a woman comes before you, she's having sex with a man. A man comes before you, he's having sex with a woman. So when you're asking questions about his girlfriend um, and he's not comfortable with you, then just have an answer like it's a girlfriend him has. Mm-hmm. You're not giving him the service that he needs. He probably need an anal swab or whatever. He's not going to get that because you assume he's having Exactly. I so um overt discrimination also what is what you're not asking and what is different. Yes, I remember that coming up in a training I went to with um Transwave. Um it was for healthcare workers. I think I was a student, I would know, I was definitely a student at the time. I can't remember what year. 
but it talked about that like when you kind of assume somebody's um sexual orientation you can end up missing important parts of the history and so in my own practice now when i'm taking a sexual history i often just leave it at what type of sex are you having and a lot of times patients look at me and laugh and say that's what that's supposed to mean you know bad man and do them something there you get me but at the same time i would rather have out of 50 persons 49 of them laugh and said doctor what kind of lean argument that and then and have that one person actually feel comfortable enough to to answer the question yeah that i'm asking exactly and we've had the healthcare workers what i do with my patients is if i even ask the question i put a disclaimer at the front to say these are questions i ask everybody so it's nothing about your appearance making me ask you this this is standard and once you put that there, it 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 buffers people thinking, is it because of how I look? Why she asking me that? She think I'm doing it. Yes, yes, and that that is something that we brought up, and it's something that we learn also in school about just in general when it comes to sex and sexual those questions around sex that we have to preface and say, hey, these are questions that ask everybody. You know, it has nothing to do with um is not based on any type of judgment on your part. And I think that helps. I wish that we had more of it in our curriculum at medical school. Um, as you know, I was always kind of called the J flag girl at school. I got the privilege of learning a lot of these nuances that I know use in my practice because of the work that I've done with um, Equality Jamaica. But Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of persons get to have that opportunity because it's not really in our curriculum. I have had in class where we started talking about the fact that sex and gender aren't the same, but I think the conversation could go way further and help us become better clinicians and better serve our patients. Yeah, and that's something that we're all still working on, so we're in dialogue with you now. Mm-hmm. Um to look at the curriculum and see where uh what needs to be upgraded how we can include a lot of the stuff that we've been doing um so i can't talk too much about that yeah so something that we're trying to do because we realize a lot of the issues that healthcare workers face is also that they're just not comfortable and so mm-hmm. if in medical school it's going to take them a much longer time to become comfortable asking certain questions. Um, and so we're trying to tackle this from multiple different levels, both from medical school, mm-hmm. already in the system, and we're also trying to get some policy changes. Okay, so just give me a summary of what you guys found and what you're hoping to get from um get from this uh, this study that happened. What was the conclusion? So just to note though that they we don't and can't use this study as a general. It was very small. Um, and you listed the facilities so you know it was only six facilities and it was 23 visits in total and so it's not a comprehensive look at the health system or anything 
but it has given us um, some glimpse of what's happening um, at the sites that we looked at. Generally, it was positive. There were, um, and I'm going to just give you the data for three areas. So in terms of ease of access um, to the services, half of the visits, approximately half of the visits were reported to be very easy. 21% easy, 35% said access was neither easy or difficult. So these are people who are neutral. Um, maybe this response had to be, well, this is normal. Um, and then one visit was reported to be difficult. Um, two visits were reported to be very difficult. And this was the experience of a trans woman. And so we know that there are also differences even within the community with some groups. People are less comfortable with trans women than they are with gay men, for example. So we know that those are issues that we still have to keep working on. Um, in terms of the comfort sharing information, 78% of the clients felt very comfortable sharing information with healthcare workers. Um, in five visits, they were not so comfortable. Um, and this was across the board. So men, women, and trans women in those five visits would have said they were not so comfortable. In terms of unrelated questions, um, three visits were deemed to contain questions that were unrelated to their health concerns. And I told you before that some said it, they thought it was merely conversational. Um, and 21% remained neutral on their perception of the questions. Um, but in the majority of the visits, about 82% um, respect were, was perceived to have been shown to them by healthcare providers. And in four visits, or 17%, the visits, the, the clients felt the visits, they didn't get respect from the healthcare worker. In terms of advising according to sexual orientation, about 39% of the visits, Mr. Clients felt that they were advised according to their sexual orientation. But 43% did not agree that they were, and 17 neutral. The majority did not think that the medical officer that they saw was discriminatory towards them. Um, generally, the private facilities did better. So Jassel and Cares. No, actually, Jocelyn got very high score. Yes. Um, Cheers did not do so well, actually. Because of the privacy issue. Because of the privacy issue. Mm -hmm. The question that you had asked before about whether it's because of how the facility set up, um, that mm -hmm. would have been for Cheers. Because in terms of the healthcare workers and everything else, they were very mm -hmm. good. So it was about the facility and how it set up. Okay. I know another location that got really good um, praises was actually Kingston Public Hospital. Yes. KPH also was 
um, in the top three in terms of how patients felt on the different areas. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the recommendations coming out of it, mm-hmm. we need to scale up leadership and strategic partnerships on non-discriminatory rights-based services across the breadth of the healthcare sector. Um, we need to also scale up leadership and strategic partnerships for non-discriminatory rights-based access to other areas, so in terms of education, employment, housing, um, because we can use some of those strategies that we've used in the healthcare sector. So in the same way that we've used BCC approaches, for example, we can utilize um, a similar tailored program. Um, we also said we'd continue to train healthcare workers and include sensitization training and recruitment and orientation programs for all new healthcare staff. Consult and collaborate with healthcare workers, nursing and medical training programs to establish LGBT sensitization as a core component of professional training. So this would be the part where I was explaining before your dialogue with you, for example. Mm-hmm. Ensure that the training also would expose people who are heading into the healthcare system. And then, of course, that we monitor efforts by making mystery client visits an aspect of continuous quality improvement. So we will be doing this going forward and not just this one-off. Um, okay. Thank the Ministry of Health for our continued partnership. Um. 10, 15 years ago, we couldn't dream of GFLAG partnering with the ministry and having such a strong partnership where we can always call on the ministry. Um, and so we're really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. It allowed us to do a lot more than initially envisioned this program to do. And so, I mean, we're eternally grateful for the ministry and all it has done to ensure that we are able to work with regions and facilities as efficiently as possible. And we really, every, we're always beginning up the ministry because without the ministry, a lot of this work just could not have happened. And the minister as well, he is, whenever we request a meeting, we've never had a situation where there's just no interest. We met with him several times, discussed issues that we're having, because issues pop up here and there. Um, and we've always been able to have a discussion, talk with the ministry about challenges. And it's a two-end street. They can come to us and say, these are the challenges we're having. Um, and we're always able to, to sort things out. So you've done the study. JFAC has done the study. What is it that you guys hope to achieve from doing this now? Well, um, on, on both ends. So we want LGBT people to feel more comfortable to access services. Um, and over the years, it has gotten better. But there is some perception that healthcare facilities um, and healthcare workers treat LGBT people a particular way. And we know because we're underground, because we're doing the training, that things are changing. 
So on one hand, we want LGBT people to understand that they can go to health facilities, that healthcare workers are sensitized, that they can have a good experience going to public facilities. On the end of the healthcare system and healthcare workers, we want people to understand what's happening in the facilities. So we know that a lot of the times there is sort of a defensive response to say, oh, we don't treat any patient differently. Um, so we want to also be able to say, this is the data. This is not, we're not just coming up with this off the top of our head. This is the data. And we want to be able to get buy-in from healthcare workers to say, these are the challenges. Because we, without the healthcare workers, we can't fix it. Um, so we really want healthcare workers to understand that we're all trying to get to the same goal of ensuring that the healthcare system is efficient, it works well for everybody. Um, and that this is not some, this is not to discredit them, but to say there are some gaps and this is how we fix it. Um, and we're really grateful to the, to the Ministry of Health in always ensuring that we have access to be able to try and fix these issues. And healthcare workers have generally been receptive to us going in and saying, these are the challenges we're finding and this is how we can fix it. So it's just for, for, for everybody to be on the same page um, and to ensure that LGBT people feel comfortable going, healthcare workers feel comfortable serving them, and that at the end of the day, people are able to get what they need from the system in a respectful, in a healthy way. Nobody feels violated by, um, by the interactions that are happening on the ground. You know, I forgot to say it before, but the reason why I asked you to come on here and talk about this because um, I saw when Equality JA pushed, published it online and, you know, saying, hey, this is the result of our mystery shopper. And I read it myself and I was thinking that, whoa, this is, this is something that can, even it was a very small study, this is something that a lot of persons could learn from, especially within the, the health sector. Um, a lot of my peers could to, could could learn from and our administration because, as you said earlier, a lot of times we don't see our own biases. We don't really think that we're doing anything. We might not realize that we're even though we might not be blatantly discriminatory, we're also not necessarily inviting our patients to to speak with us, even if we get the chance and. I don't think a lot of us know that there are persons out there who are saying, you know, I never want to go to this hospital or this health center because them don't respect my pronoun, they don't respect my preferred name, or them always ask me some unnecessary questions. And I think that having you on here and talking about it will encourage more persons to actually go out there and seek the information. Because if it's something that you never think about, why are you going to look for it? If it's not something that is affecting you you don't know it exists why am i going to go out there and look for this if i don't see it as an issue and even in my own practice i don't i don't think a lot of us 
think outside of the box of cisgender and and heterosexual because most of our patients that we interact with are cisgendered and they are heterosexual. Exactly. Um, and we always stress that we're not saying that um, healthcare workers are for the most part um, just discriminatory, um, mm-hmm. unprofessional, because we know a lot of it has to do with culture and socialization. And when you go to work, you don't drop off yourself at the door. And so who you are and your beliefs and your values can affect your work. And unless you think about it explicitly and understand that you have um, biases, that they can come out. So we're always offering support to, um, to our healthcare workers. You can always reach out to JFLAG. You can email us. You can call us. We're always willing to provide support. Okay, Karen, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us um, about this study that I found extraordinarily interesting. And I, I know that we can learn a lot from. I really hope that it can be done in a way where it's bigger and we can implement it. So I want, if persons are interested in reading the entire thing, where can they find it? It is on our website, equalityjamaica.org. Email me at Karen at equalityjamaica.org and I can send it. Okay. Anybody want to big up? You want to promote anything? You know, your Instagram, your Twitter, anything like that? We're on all social media platforms, equalityja. That's at equalityja on Twitter, at equalityja on Instagram. And on Facebook, you just can put in Equality Jamaica or JFAB. I'll definitely have the, 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 the study, the report of it in our show notes and all the links to JFLAG and all the social media and the, the website linked below. And your email address again, you said that we could message, they could send to you. Yeah, so thanks for having me, Samantha. It's always good to get our work out there for people to understand um, what we're doing and why we're doing it. In terms of the, the mystery shopper component, we are actually um, mainstreaming it as part of our programming. And so after each program cycle ends, we'll be doing the mystery shopper to ensure that um, we're having the impact that we'd like to have after we do all these trainings. Um, and so it will get bigger. We will have more data um data that we can be able to use we are trying to ensure that we're able to use this data that we're getting to empirically say this is what's happening on the ground across the island um and this is what we need to do to fix it and in that way it it gives more credibility to the work that we're doing to the data that we have and we can go to the ministry and say this is what the data says. Um, and we move from there in terms of plugging all the gaps that we see um, in the healthcare system. So once again, thanks for having me. All right. So thank you everyone for listening. If you want 
to reach out to me, get, um, can find me on Instagram, Twitter, at The Layman's Doctor. It's written as at The Layman DR. Feel free to send your question, comments to me. You might be featured on one of these episodes at my email address, thelaymansdoctor at gmail.com. Again, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.